Well, you know, I always want to know everything. And because I want to know everything, sometimes I get to talk to some really interesting people. Today, I get to uh, talk to astrophysicist Jeff Zwierink. Uh, he's a research scholar at Reasons to Believe. He's got a PhD in astrophysics from Iowa State University and is the co-author of, oh my gosh, tons of books, it looks like right here. Um, Escaping the Beginning, Is There Life Out There? Who's Afraid of the Multiverse? Uh, Jeff, what is Reasons to Believe? Reasons to Believe is an organization that uh, argues that science and the Christian faith actually go together and work well together. There's kind of this common narrative out in the culture that science is anti-religion and anti-specifically anti-Christian and that Christians tend to be anti-science and that they're kind of in conflict with one another. And really what Reasons to Believe is about is showing how that uh, the latest scientific discoveries actually affirm belief in Christianity. And we just want to tell people about that. Well, it's, it's interesting because I, I, where I work at the current time, I work uh, at Explore Scientific, which they also underwrite some of the audio that I use here. Um, so visit their website too, will you? Anyway, so, <laughs> um, you know, a lot of those guys, they, they're, a lot of those guys do believe in God and not just Christian God, just a few other denominations and faiths and things like that. Um, but a lot of them just deny it outright. And I mean, I get it. I understand why, you know, that's, we live in a free country in a free world. You, your belief system's up to you, whatever, you know, I'm not uh, worried about, I mean, I'm worried about those people, I suppose, from a Christian faith point of view, but I always have, because I'm in the entertainment business as well, I have to make sure that my Christianity and my politics are completely compartmentalized away from anything that I touch so I'll, I'll, I just have to, because you never know who the next person you're going to talk to is. And, you know, it's price you pay for being in modern, modern entertainment business. But honestly, I kind of have felt that way a little bit myself that when somebody says the Big Bang, I always ask them, this is where in the Christian Bible or any faith based book, does it say anything other than God created the earth and it doesn't say how no not really um I mean isn't that kind of what you're what you're looking at Jeff that is some of that I mean there's there's a lot of things that we discover scientifically uh you know that really just neither don't have any sort of impact at least on the Christian faith and uh you know I know there's lots of people that have lots of different worldviews lots of different religions uh, you know I've dabbled in studying little bits about various things, but I know a lot about Christianity. And, you know, I read through the Bible and there's no mention of bacteria or I would argue even galaxies. And so when we go out and study things scientifically, we find that galaxies exist. We find bacteria exist. We find Neanderthals exist. These are things that, you know, are just fascinating, but don't really weigh in one way or the other. But there are a lot of things that we have found where the Bible does make Pretty bold statements. I mean, it start, says that the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that the the universe had a beginning to it and God's responsible for it. Well, when we look at our best scientific evidence, it points to our universe having a beginning. Uh, 
you know, we look at how it described the early earth in Genesis 1-2 there. And the earth was formless void. Darkness is on the surface of the deep. Spirit was hovering over the surface of the waters. That's a pretty good description of the early earth. So there's well, lots of... I mean, that's that that's that's that that can be correlated to it. But at the same time, you know, just thinking about it logically... We don't know. Even Dawkins doesn't know. When Dawkins was put on, he was he was uh, Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist, right? Mm -hmm. uh, ben Stein hit him with the question that says, "How did we get here?" And he's like, "Oh, aliens from a superior being came and brought us to the planet." Well, it's God. <laughs> yeah. So I I don't understand why it doesn't make any sense to me why we can't intermingle the two why why are they why do they have to be so separate now i do understand that if you go back in time the roman catholic church for example did not want science that was you know galileo is the biggest prime example as far as astrophysicists would could be concerned with if you go back in history I mean, that guy uh, was tortured basically for believing that the earth wasn't the center of the solar system that's actually a very fascinating example because a lot of people point to Galileo and then ultimately with uh, or also to uh, uh, Charles Darwin with evolution as these are the prime examples that show that science and Christianity, particularly the Catholic Church, are, are in conflict with one another. But what's fascinating is if you go back and you read uh, what historians of science say about all that was going on with Galileo and you read even about what the church thought about that. The church really didn't have any issues with the idea that maybe uh, the earth was not the center of the universe. Uh, yeah, there's all I'm saying is there's a whole lot of misconceptions about what people thought went on with Galileo. Really, what Galileo got in trouble for was the fact that he was, a, as a layman, was seeking to interpret scripture. And in the context of the Protestant Reformation and the Catholic Counter-Reformation, that's what he got in trouble for. Uh, you read various cardinals, in fact, Cardinal Bellarmine, who was kind of uh, the, the representative of Galileo in the trial. And he's saying, you know, whether the earth is the center or not, that's, a, that's not really a big issue. We can sort that out scientifically. We just have to deal with who has the authority to interpret scripture. So I, I love that example because it's an example where clearly the church is anti-science. And lo and behold, when you dig in deeper, you find that it's far more complicated. And the church was actually very receptive to the science that Galileo was bringing, but had some theological concerns about how he was getting there by studying scripture. Interesting. So, but uh, when it comes to bacteria and stuff like that, though, I do know that the uh, Torah, it uh, does address people who may have bacterial infections. They just didn't recognize it as bacteria. Oh, of course. I mean, there are sicknesses that have been throughout history, and we now know that there are these things that are bacteria because we've got microscopes that allows us to see them. But nowhere in Scripture does it talk about, oh, here's a bacteria and here's how they look or anything. So the idea that we find bacteria that can explain the things that we see that the scripture talks about, that doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, in fact, scripture tells us to go out and study creations. So I would expect that we're going to find lots of things through our scientific studies that aren't specifically revealed in scripture. And, and that's been the history of what we found. So how, just to kind of start delving into it a little bit, I mean, I, I'm not trying to take the apologetic position, which it's unfortunately I can't help because I'm actually open to anything be honest with you. 
uh, I'm open to the Big Bang being how God did it. I'm open to that. I'm open to it, uh, just about any interpretation, because it's really all just a guess, if you think about it. Either we have no record. We have no way of going back and actually looking other than, you know, the fossil record. And maybe, I don't know, some an example that happens out in space, because we have the new telescope now, um, the James Webb. And, you know, obviously my work has been covering that extensively, and we're seeing galaxies form, and we're seeing galaxies collide. Um, how, how can we, the thing about it is, is that they're going to say, how can we possibly reconcile that there's millions of galaxies out there, and just a, a, a partial, uh, uh, you zoom in on a James Webb telescope picture, and you're looking at maybe a, a half an inch or quarter of an inch of that photograph, and there's hundreds of galaxies represented in that photograph. How do we reconcile something like that? I mean, doesn't it, I don't even begin. I don't even know where to begin. You are correct in identifying. This is a fantastic universe in which we live. I mean, every time we've developed a new instrument that allows us to see more of the universe, uh, whether that be the small part of the universe or the, the, the vast stretches of the universe, we've seen stuff. that's like, that just boggles our mind. I mean, one of my favorite images uh, was from the Hubble Space Telescope, and the web can make this image. Uh, you know, it took the Hubble Space Telescope, I believe it was 11 days uh, to take all the data for the image, whereas the web can do it in a few hours. Um, but it's got this image that is roughly 1 50th the, the size of the moon. So it would take 50 of these images to cover across the moon. Right. And you look at it and it's just littered with objects and all of them are galaxies. Uh, you know, so there's yeah. 10,000 galaxies in this image. It's just mind boggling what that tells us about how big the universe is, how many galaxies there are, how varied in composition and shape and style they are. We, we live in a spectacular universe. I just love what we find as we develop new interest instruments so, to go out and explore. So what's to say there's not a civilization on another universe? You know, I mean, how do we resolve that? I mean, I just don't understand. I can't get my mind around the fact that there could be another, a, a, another place that's out there doing what we're doing. I actually think that's a distinct possibility. How does that reconcile though? I mean, I don't, it's, it's something because I'm, I'm a Missouri Senate Lutheran. So we're quite conservative. We're not, when it comes to our, we're very liberal with our politics and with our people outside of the church, but in the church, we're quite conservative. Um, and it's just something that, uh, it's never even, I mean, Martin Luther in his, uh, in his, um, uh, literature, obviously never brought up the fact that this could possibly be even a possibility. So where do, where do, what the heck, what do we do now? Well, what's, what's fascinating in my study into that area. And that's, that's kind of the question is, you know, is there life out there? That's what prompted me to write that book. Cause I think this question has fascinated humanity from the dawn of time. In fact, I kind of jokingly argue that it wouldn't surprise me to find out that Adam and Eve were arguing about this in the Garden of Eden somewhere. <laughs> um, but what 
often gets missed is that Christians have thought about this topic for centuries, if not millennia. Uh, you know, example, you, know, you brought up Galileo earlier. Galileo was a very devout Christian, wanted to, you know, study following God, was convinced that Earth was the only place in the universe where life existed. His contemporary, Kepler, also a devout Christian, studying creation to follow God, was convinced that everybody out there, every object in the heavens had life on it. So here you've got these two devout Christians arguing about this centuries before we have the technology to even begin investigating whether there's really life out there or not. So, you know, this is something Christians have thought about for a long time. And and how I see it relating to Scripture is you got to ask the question, what does Scripture talk about? Well, Scripture tells us a whole lot about what God did here on earth for humanity, it doesn't talk much about what goes on out in the rest of the universe, except we know that God has created other kinds of life. There's the spiritual realm, the angelic beings, but the Bible really doesn't tell us one way or the other whether God created life somewhere else in the universe. And I think that's a fascinating theological question as well as a fascinating scientific question. Right. A- Andrea, I know you had some uh, some questions that you we're thinking of, and I didn't want to take up all the time here because I could just rattle on forever. Um, so, Andrea, what's your what's your first question? Do you think? Well, I don't know. Your astrophysicist, this may be kind of over your head, but and maybe not. But I'm a nurse, and I've dealt with patients with have different types of faiths and beliefs, and we have to, of course, be extremely agnostic. But a lot of them have had very strict, staunch beliefs on no blood products. Have no organ transplants, and they point to the Bible as examples. And it's always been extremely hard question for me to, because these are obviously these patients sometimes need blood to save their lives. And I'm from the Jewish perspective, Reformed Jew, so we have a little different perspective than some of the other branches of Judaism. But how would you think would be the best way to help someone understand maybe that? be able to understand the science and religion of something that could save their life. That's a great, How does your- yeah, sorry. I, just, I think that's a great question. And one I've wrestled with quite a bit through my life, you know, in general, I tend to live a pretty healthy life, but uh, you know, I know people who've needed back surgeries or kidney replacements or blood transfusions, uh, you know, so, you know, just kind of wrestling with, you know, how do we use the scientific technology to help people but not rely uh, to not put to not do so at the expense of recognizing how God has created us. And, you know, I think, again, I'll, I'll address this specifically in the context of Christianity. What I find f- integral to understanding this or has really helped me understand this is that God has created humanity. We are both physical and spiritual. And I, I wonder if some of that resistance flows out of the idea that, oh, science only looks at the natural and uh, medicine only deals with the physical and it doesn't deal with the spiritual. And so there's a rejection of that in favor of the only spiritual, when in reality, the best, you know, if we're truly physical and spiritual beings, then the best medicine, the best healing is going to incorporate both of those. Sometimes the physical part of our body needs healing. Sometimes the spiritual part of our, our body needs healing. And we want, I, I, want, 
I want to do the best I can to incorporate both of those, not neglecting the spiritual nor neglecting the physical part. I know that's not a specific answer, but I think there's that that's a that's some of how I think about that. If if we're if we're genuinely both spiritual and physical, we want to bring all of the spiritual and physical tools into healing people. Well, I've said for years that uh, psycho- psychiatry and psychology should be a more of a um, more of an integral part of the doctor training for a physical doctor, because mind over matter, some it that does have something to do with it. I can you can will yourself to stay alive. I had a grandmother who lived 102. She had no reason to be alive, but she was alive. And, you know, my father, he's only got one artery. You know, he's <laughs> he's got some problems. He's in his 80s, and the man just keeps going. And he just went on a 60-mile uh, trip to South Arkansas and back just for going to garage sales. So, I mean, <laughs> and my uncle, who is much, fitter, much more fit than him for most of his life, can barely walk. And it's because my father hasn't given up, and my uncle, unfortunately, it seems like he has. So, and and, and I've always said that. And but how? I guess religion would play into the psychiatry portion of it. I mean, if you believe in something, uh, it, just the belief in something is going to cause you to do better at it. I would think. I mean, we've proven that time and time again. Yeah. World War II, we had many stories about people keeping go, keeping on fighting, even though they're gravely injured, uh, and they stay alive just long enough to get rescued. Uh, you know, it's 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 part of human being human. But if somebody's like a Christian scientist, for example, the ones that I've heard of, and I don't know much about it, I'll admit I don't know much about being Christian scientist, but a Christian science scientist, from what I understand, and Andrew, you might be able to clear this up for you, uh, they reject medicine in a lot of cases. Yes, that's correct. They, they do. You know, I, I agree. There, are, I, I, I even suspect that there are segments of people who are Christians who reject various aspects. I know just as a general thing, I try and I tend to avoid, I, I tend to put off using medicine as a first solution. I mean, I, you know, I take Advil for a headache or aspirin for a headache, you know, it's, because I want to see if I can do something to physically remedy the problem before putting a, a medicine there, but you know, I've diet had time and exercise kind of stuff, right? Yeah. That, because I recognize that, you know, one of the things that I find fascinating though, in my, and some of the research that I've done is, you know, you talk about just the psychology and how that may be where religion comes in. There's a long-term study that was done by people uh, studying. It was originally a group of sophomores at Harvard. I think it started in 1938. Uh, it's been since expanded to men and women, inner city, wealthy, you know, all, all different classes and, and uh, situations in life. And what they have found, the leaders of the one of or two of the four leaders of this long-term study, it's still going on almost a hundred years later now, have found that uh, isolation is as damaging to your body as alcohol is, and smoking. Yes. That you know that there yes. are these very physical effects that flow out of poor relationships. Well, they did that uh, with you know, children. Go ahead. 
Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I apologize. I was just going to say, as a Christian, I exactly expect that because God has created us as relational beings. If we just focus on the physical and don't pay attention to the relational, we can expect that that's going to cause physical problems. Well, and and you're right about that. There was a study done with newborn infants, uh, some premature infants, and uh, what they would do is they took uh, half of the study and isolated them and they only touched them when they had to and the other half of the study the nurse came by every hour or 30 minutes or something like that and held the child uh, or put their hand on the child if they couldn't hold it because it was too small and the ones that they touched grew faster better and lived longer and went on to mature and the ones that they didn't touch that they just left there didn't fare so well. And I don't know the details of the uh, study, but I, it's definitely Googleable, so yeah. we can definitely find it. So it's, it's actually a, it's, 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 it's actually a thing that is true. Absolutely. So, so if we approach that from a strictly naturalist perspective, what you have to argue is that by physically touching, you're releasing some sort of chemicals and that does something in there. Whereas if we bring in that spiritual component that we are both a union of physical and spiritual, then that touch is a sign of physical relationship that it's, it's one of the primary ways that babies connect with, uh, you know, other, other humans. And so you're going to be feeding that spiritual component through the relationships. And so a lot of that just makes sense. You definitely have to socialize. I mean, you have to socialize the infant and the child. And if you don't socialize, you end up not being a very good person a lot of times and sometimes that's not true i mean i don't have a study on that that's just my thoughts i don't know andrea she kicks my butt a lot whenever i say stuff like that so i have to like back it up a little bit oh maybe it's just my thought feelings (laughs) you gotta be careful because people always fact check you especially somebody in medicine I know, I know. Solid point, solid point. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, how how in the the, the problem, it's not really a problem. It's just if we put too much faith into our medicine, aren't we going to corrupt the, uh, the outcome of the hypothesis that we're trying to disprove? Well, I would say this, if, again, you know, from a Christian perspective, and I think there's abundance of evidence that points to how Christians describe or how, how the Bible describes the world and the condition of humanity that the, the, the Bible gets right in a way no other world religion does, then we are both physical and spiritual beings. And so if we're looking just at the physical at the exclusion of the spiritual, that's going to cause problems. And if we're looking at just the physical at the, or sorry, just the spiritual at the exclusion of the physical, that's also going to cause unnecessary problems. If Christianity is correct, we would expect to find that there are physical things that help, like taking Advil to reduce uh, inflammation, because that's what the that's what that drug is designed to do. But you're also going to have this spiritual component that is key to healthy human beings. And and I, I think you're hard pressed to look at the history of medicine and find that both of those aren't very important in helping people actually uh, recover and have healthy, productive lives. Okay. Well, I I would just I just worry that it's it's like you can front load somebody with something. You could say, oh, this is going to be terrible. And you go in there and everybody thinks it's terrible. And the person who wasn't front loaded is going to be like, oh, that was actually quite cool. And 
but it was cool. You know, it's just a matter of perspective a lot of times. So that's what I was worried about with uh, with manipulating the results of your testing. If you go in there mm-hmm. to the test with a uh, with a you know a pre expectation that is something's going to happen because God's going to step in or something like that. That's one of the difficulties of doing, you know, or figuring out how to how to measure this physical and spiritual is that when you're dealing with people, there's a lot of complicated or I don't want to say complications. There's a lot of complexity involved there. Complexity, yeah. Part of the reason why I like astrophysics and programming computers and stuff is that when you go out and study, there isn't somebody out there saying, ah, you know what? I just don't want to shine gamma rays today. Therefore, I don't get any of that. There's either gamma rays or there aren't, or I can detect them or I can't. Uh, you know, so one of the things I like about why I've uh, chosen to go into the uh, astrophysics is that uh, it eliminates a lot of that complexity that human interactions bring. Um, and I've, I'm just kind of frank and candid here. You've explored about the realm of what I'm comfortable or where I can competently speak any more than just offering my opinion, because now we're dealing with people and I'm yeah. not a psychologist. I'm not a, a psychiatrist. I haven't done those. That's I just fair. looked at That's the literature fair. to know. So, um, well, so I guess alien life would be the next question. Just going to keep it in your wheelhouse. Um, I do have a question. I have a question. Go ahead. I'm curious. I'm curious. Um, I've asked my rabbi this question about alien life, and I'm more of an open-minded Jew compared to some. But she very much stated that, well, it's not in the Torah, then it doesn't exist. And then my argument back to her was, well, who's to say that he didn't want to put it in the Torah to begin with? So, Sorry, I how, didn't hear that last part. Who's to say? Who's to say that God didn't want it in the Torah to begin with? <laughs> who's to say he didn't want to talk about it? So my question is, is how do you, how do you handle people that are very staunchly, truly do not 100% believe in this stuff and fall back on their faith? How do you, how do you handle people like that? How would, how do you, how does your organization handle people like that? Because there's some people that are hardcore, not open-minded and it gets kind of awkward to become friends. On both sides. On both sides. Does that make sense? The, yeah. The atheists and the believers. I mean, that's what we're really talking about here in this particular episode is we're talking about how to cross the road and shake hands with somebody who thinks that we're an idiot. If I'm an atheist and the person over there doesn't believe it and I don't believe it, now that can't be true. And the other person who is, I'm God's control of everything. And I can't believe that that would happen that way because that doesn't sound like something God would do, you know? And so how do we cross that boundary? I have found in one of the aspects of doing apologetics and studying science and thinking about how science and Christianity work together is that very often I find that as I'm investigating a topic, that the 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 study that Christians have given to that topic is far greater than what I've been aware of. Uh, you know, when I first started looking at the idea of there being life out there, I'm thinking, you know, if we find life, that really is going to be problematic for Christianity. And lo and behold, I come to realize that Christians have thought about this for a long time. And kind of it comes down to, uh, one, there's not much in Scripture where anything that says there's life out there. So you could take the silence as evidence against there being life out there. 
But that could equally be like galaxies and bacteria, silence being this is just something that God has not revealed to us, and he wants us to go out and study his creation and see. Um, so, you know, Scripture doesn't weigh in definitively, and I have I have not run across anybody who I know who takes Scripture really seriously, or, you know, the group of people who take Scripture really seriously that say Scripture definitively answers that question. And so if that's the case, I think scientifically, now I, that's just a fascinating question to go out and explore. But really what I want to do is help people understand what does Christianity actually have to say? So if there's an atheist or a skeptic or somebody who says, oh, if we find alien life, that's going to destroy Christianity. Well, no, that's not really the case. I can show you how Christians have thought about this for a long time, and it really doesn't impact whether God's the creator, whether God created humanity, you know, humanity fell, whether Christ was the second person of the Godhead who took on human form, lived among us, was died, uh, you know, was crucified, resurrected, and that there's going to be, uh, you know, eternal life afterwards. None of that, whether there's life out there or not, doesn't impact that. But on the flip side, if there's a Christian who says there just can't be life out there, well, then I say, okay, well, how, how do you definitively tell me that God hasn't created life out there. There's lots of things God does that I don't understand or that he hasn't told me, except by I've gone out and studied creation and then realized, oh, that's the way it works. I did, I did, wouldn't have known without studying creation. And so I think there's a lot of places where many people, whether believers or not in Christianity, just misunderstand what Christianity has to say. And that's really my goal in interacting. What do you think? Why do you think that? And what do you, th here's what Christianity really has to say. Let's have that conversation. I think that's a fascinating conversation. Mm -hmm. So Andrea, I hope I didn't convolute your point or your question. So I hope I, I hope I didn't mess it up for you too bad. Was that what the answer you're, you're wanting to get from them or was it something else? entirely no that's 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 it but it kind of like makes me think of a point where i'm my mother was baptist and my dad was jewish so i was kind of exposed to both so um and i remember having this this conversation of talking about people and then i was always the one that you know was always i guess trying to trip people up as a kid but i would always ask <laughs> him i said okay so if there's aliens out there does that mean that god has a jesus for them and nobody really it was it was funny because I stumped the preacher and I didn't mean to, but it always <laughs> makes you stop and wonder, like, is there like another Torah out there? Is there, you know, is God going to be like that with other worlds if he created other beings? What's your thoughts? One, again, I will just kind of reiterate, because this was a fascinating discovery for me as I looked into this is to just recognize the depth of Christian thought that had gone into this topic. It wasn't like, okay, I had to sit and figure this out. I really just had to read what Christians before me had already thought specifically regarding that issue, because that, that is one that really troubled me. It's like, you know, it says there in the Bible that Christ died once for all. And so what do we do with that? And well, what I've come to realize is that, uh, you know, Christians have thought, okay, so what if there's life out there? What are the possibilities? Well, it is entirely possible. So let's say God created life somewhere. It could be that that alien race never fell. They never rebelled against God. In that case, they'd have no need for redemption. That's true. And so Christ's work here on the earth is great, but it just doesn't apply because they didn't need that. So that's one option. It could be they fell, but God has some other means of redemption that he just hasn't mm -hmm. revealed to us. Well, and it's none of our business anyway, so. Well, uh, but uh, <laughs> if we find out that there are aliens out there, now it does become 
I don't know, part of our business is not the right way to say that. <laughs> but it becomes something we're very interested in for sure. So so one thing I always have, I, one last thing about talking about aliens. I don't believe that we will ever be able to get outside of our galaxy because it's, I think Einstein, his theory and the theories that have followed up his theory to correct where he was wrong in certain aspects of it. These guys are right. It's too far. There's no possible way that we could get there. Have you heard anything in, in the, in the little science circles that you're in? Um, Cause I'm in the amateur world. I'm not in the actual scientist world. Is, have you heard anything about that? What, what do you think about that? Could we ever get to the next galaxy over? I think the obstacles to doing that are enormous and potentially insurmountable. And why I say that, I'll, I'll just give a brief description of why I think that's true. So we know uh, Einstein proposed this general theory of relativity that describes how gravity works. Every place we've been able to test it, it's passed with flying colors. Phenomenally powerful way of looking at the universe and it just, it's, it's incredible how, how good of a theory it is. One of the fundamental tenets of that theory is that the speed of light is the fastest that you can move through space. And that everybody will see that everybody, every place in space has that same limitation, constraint, whatever you want to call it. So the speed of light, which is very fast, almost 200 miles per, or 200,000 miles per second, a little bit, little bit less than that. Yeah, is the fastest you can travel. Now, to put that in, in scope, the closest star to us would take four years traveling at the speed of light to get there. To get to our sun, it takes about eight to eight and a half minutes. So all that to say is space is huge. So our galaxy would take light from the center to the edge, something on the order between 225,000 to 50,000 years moving at the speed of light. Yeah. So there's this challenge you got to deal with. Well, you say, all right, well, give it enough time. Well, uh, traveling at a tenth the speed of light to get to the close, you can do the calculations and to get to, <laughs> to get closer to another star than the sun will take 40,000 years. Yeah. Uh, you know, or as that's traveling in our current. Uh, yeah. Rockets. And, and so, it doesn't really matter what the numbers are because it's absolutely insane. None of, you know, we, we live a hundred years, most 120 at most. We're not going to be there. We're not going to be around. You know, we'd have to, you know, seven, 72 generations later, we finally show up and it's like no one cares anymore. Well, maybe you could just take a <laughs> civilization that says, all right, we're going to figure out how to move a civilization around. Or it is entirely possible. And this is where Star Trek and Star Wars yeah. at least are on the right idea. With Star Trek, you've got this warp field. And what that warp field is doing is warping the very fabric of space so that you can get great distances in short periods of time because you're With not that, actually traveling yeah. the full distance. You're traveling on this warp <laughs> distance. and so But maybe, you may just crush yourself under the gravitational forces caused by warping space-time. Whatever, I don't know. <laughs> no, those, those are the <laughs> challenges you have to deal with. So do I yeah. expect it? No. Am I willing to bet against the ingenuity of humanity? No. I, if there's a way to yeah, do that, agree. we'll figure it out someday. We're, we're like we're like raccoons. <laughs> yeah, we're like raccoons in your backyard. You know, they they get everything. Yes, they, nothing's safe from a raccoon. Yeah, there's lots <laughs> of things that we've thought humanity couldn't do that we figured out how to do. 
I, yeah, flying. For I'm one. still pretty skeptical about being able to traverse great distances across space. But yeah, you know, it doesn't seem like physics is going to ever answer that question because quantum physics. The, the weird part is you got quantum physics, which says a particle is in two places at the same time. Yeah. Or well, it can't and, be. Yeah. But it, but it is. You know, I think it's like I, it's like what are they talking about? I don't quite understand. Well, so that's where when you start getting into quantum mechanics, things get a lot harder because yeah. when when you know when you talk about general relativity, general relativity says this is the way the fundamental reality of how space behaves. We can write down the equations, we can solve them. Nobody says, well, here's my interpretation of general relativity. When you deal with quantum mechanics, we deal with this thing called the wave function. So everything that is quantum mechanical has different states, and the wave function is a superposition of all of those states. And yet when we make measurements, we only find one state. And so the question is, what's the fundamental reality? Well, general relativity, there's no, here's my interpretation. With quantum mechanics, there's many, many different interpretations. Yeah. You know, so well, well, at least string theory is off the table. You know, at least string theory is off the table because they've pretty much proven that wrong, I think, if I remember no, correctly. No, I don't think so. There's versions of string theory that are incorrect, but we don't, Maybe that's what I'm we don't have of. any idea what the correct quantum theory of gravity is. And string theory <laughs> is a viable option. Uh, maybe somewhere in my lifetime, it, we may get closer to that. I have suspicion that's like 100 years down the road before we're at least. There. I don't know. A supercomputer may be able to do the math. I mean, who knows? It's Possibly. it is just it is just binary logic when you're doing math. So there is the that challenge is this, though. We can come up with lots of different ways to come up and say, here's how quantum gravity works. But that's fine and dandy. But science says, OK, now how do you test whether that's the right explanation or not? So we've got lots of different theories of quantum gravity. String theory is one. There's quantum loop gravity. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of different models out there. The question, the, the challenge is coming up with experiments that says, ah, this one's right and that one's not. Right now, all of the experiment or all of the different quantum theories of gravity align with all the experiments that we've done so far. Interesting. So if there's one thing, what I've been looking at too is that um, when it comes to religion and science, what really bothers me is that people aren't open. And how, why, the biggest question I want to ask is why cannot people on the, on the religious side or the science side be open? Have you given any thought to the psychology behind that? Why they're so closed-minded and completely deny? I've met some people who completely deny uh, science. Because I live in the Bible Belt. I know you're, I don't know where, where you, you were born in, I know you went to school in Iowa. Right. I grew up in Missouri, went to school in Iowa. What part of Missouri is that? Uh, north or south? St. Joseph, Missouri, north of Kansas City. Oh, oh, oh wow. You know, uh, my uncle lives out there in uh, the uncle I was talking about. He lives out there uh, in just right off near St. Joseph at the uh, um, Lake Viking. Oh, yeah. No, Missouri. I've heard of that and been out there and actually done some skiing on that, if I remember correctly. So how about that? You were probably there at the same time I was. Maybe. Just didn't know maybe. <laughs> Small world, man. Um, so, but down here in the really deep Bible belt, it's, I've had people tell me that's no way. And then I, because I live in a college town, that's 
everybody wants to be hip. They think they're hippies, which they're not really, but whatever. We'll go into that some other time. Um, <laughs> they uh, deny God. And they put their coexist thing up there, you know, and that's just a denial of all religion and just, you know, sticking their middle finger up at you. If you do have a religion, that's how that's how I take it by talking to those people who have that kind of point of view. Why in the world do we have this divide where the other person can't possibly be right because I think that they're this way? How can how how can we what 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 in the world is that all about? Do you know what that may stem from? What do you what's your theories on that? I have some ideas, but I, I do know this. I have run across a number of people um, I, that I can engage in dialogue with about this. You know, so, so I've run across a number of scientists where I can talk about Christianity, engage. They may agree, they may disagree, but we can have a good conversation about it. And I've run across a lot of Christians who I can talk about the latest, greatest science, and they may agree or disagree with me, but we can have good conversations about it. I think some of that phenomena where it looks so antagonistic one way or the other is that those are often the most vocal. Um, but I, I have not run across too many people where I can't have a conversation, even though we tremendously disagree on what the fundamental nature of reality, you know, whether God exists or not. Yeah. Um, one thing I do think has contributed to that more recently and, uh, yeah, I, I'll probably get – I'm not sure entirely sure how this will come over. But I think one of the things that's happened in the last 10, 15 years, and I think it's related to social media, is that we tend to have these short soundbite argument conversations instead of actually trying to understand what people have to say. Yes. Um, you know, one of the passages out of uh, Proverbs that I remember reading 30-plus years ago was the first person to give their case always seems right until another comes along to cross-examine. <laughs> and I took it to heart. And it's like, okay, when I hear something, it's like, okay, this is what's being said. What's what's the other side? Or you know, what's the balance to that? What would somebody on the other side say? Because that now, now once I, I know what the this person has to say, what this person has to say, now I have a way to actually evaluate. Other than that, I'm just kind of looking for what I – Essentially, what essentially what already agrees with me, which is a cognitive bias of just looking yeah. at the stuff that you agree with, and so I think we do a lot more of that because we don't spend a lot of time interacting, engaging with people with different viewpoints. So, well, I think the the I, I believe that our our corporate boards, and I'm not a socialist or anything like that, but this is what I believe. I believe our corporate boards running Facebook and Google and things like that, they, they're the, the people that are the stockholders are electing these people, which is why I always say, if you have a mutual fund and you're complaining about the big government or big companies, you're part of the problem because you have a vote and you're not doing it because it's in your mutual fund. But anyway, I digress on that. I think that these guys are motivated by their board to make money. People want to perform. So the cognitive bias of our advertising platforms, it's what's causing some of this. It's not intentional cognitive bias. It's they want to sell us crap. And because they want to sell us crap, they only surround us with stuff they think we like because we've clicked on it. And then we buy that crap. 
versus this other stuff that nobody wants that believes this way. And when it comes to just the general population, if they don't do anything other than just consume what's on their phone at any given point in time, all they're going to see is the same thing. And they're just going to just go into this weird spiral into some kind of crazy thought process like flat earthers. You know, I mean, they, they spiral into this thought process that it's not even possibly true, but podcasts like we're doing here, they're catching on and they're growing exponentially, obviously, because I got one here. I've actually, this is an extension of a podcast I did a few years ago. So it's, it's, I actually have quite a few episodes, but you know, podcasts are growing and people want to listen to them because people like you and I and Andrea, uh, can sit here and have a long form conversation and we can hear exactly what the other person thinks without having these little bitty sound bites that are pushed out to us through these cognitively biased advertising where they're pulling out our algorithm of what we'd like and only showing us that stuff. So I, I think I'm a little long winded here, but I think that's part of the problem is that our advertiser, our advertising structure to get us to buy stuff is really just tearing a lot of people's social social interactions apart. I, I, I'm, I'm not, again, this is out, a little bit outside my expertise, but I, I do know I've, I've had to, I've been working on a studying artificial intelligence and what we do with that. And one of the things that uh, impresses me as I've studied artificial intelligence is how much art, how much you can build AIs uh, this is not like data C3PO or, you know, the vision, you know, kind of the, the computers yeah. that become sentient, but uh, artificial intelligences that can play chess, that can help you navigate uh, your car, uh, those sorts of things. How well these AIs can replicate uh, things that humans do better than we can. And one of the things that are behind a lot of the social media things are these AIs that are very adept at telling you, hey, Based on what you've done, here's what you want to do. They're building a profile of you so that they can market to you better. It's a great marketing right. strategy, but the problem is, and, you know, I'll harken back to something that was true when I was a kid, is that I remember uh, seeing these discussions about how you cannot do subliminal advertising because it's playing on people. It's it's taking advantage of people, manipulating people to get an outcome, and that's not healthy. That's not the way we want to run society. I see what you're saying. You're saying your 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 hypothesis, I guess, for lack of a better term, is that this fractal algorithm that's talking to us through our phones and showing us our 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 advertising is akin to um, subliminal advertising. And you know what? That's a valid argument. I really think that's actually a quite valid argument. You know, and, and I, I watched uh, the – there was a movie, I think is the correct term for it. It was called The Social Dilemma, where it just kind of talks about former CEOs, execs of these digital companies and some of the things they're doing. And, um, you know, one thing that is uh, seemed unequivocally clear is that they're trying to understand and build a better model of how you are because – or of who you are and what you're going to respond to because that allows them – to provide content that you're going to enjoy, but also to market to you better. And so the question we ask is not, is that 
is the AI good or bad? Because it's people that are using this. And this goes back to one of my central contentions. We are both physical and spiritual beings. And if we're going to be doing stuff, we ought to ask the question, is this a good thing? And, and really, I think we ought to think seriously about what worldview do we want to be true? Because how we answer what worldview is correct is going to drive the types of things that we're going to want to have happen. And I think if you want to use AI, have AI and develop AI and use it well, get a, get the benefits that AI can bring and mitigate against the consequences, you really do want Christianity to be true because that helps us understand people and what's actually good for people and for society and for our planet. Well, I, you know, Chris, there's nothing wrong with uh, having the, something like Christianity as the basics of your ethical code. However, it's also built into natural law. If you go way back in the day when they first did the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, that's the natural law that those guys came up with. And I guess it predates them for sure. I'm not quite sure about that. I need to do a little research on that myself. But And, and there's nothing wrong with that because it means don't kill, don't steal. <laughs> you know, don't don't rape. Okay, I, I'm good with that. Let's have those rules. That sounds good to me. <laughs> you know, so I well, there's nothing wrong with having a religion like that. But what happens though when our ethics? That's the, always the big question. What happens when our ethics start to swing because there's nothing that it's based in? Hmm. Well, it's always an interesting question. As a society, we ought to think pretty seriously about that because. You know, for a long time, Judeo, the Judeo-Christian worldview has undergirded the, you know, the United States society. And if we're going to move away from that, we ought to consider the implications of what does that mean for the ethics yeah. that we're going to adopt? Because there's a lot of things that we take for granted, uh, like the idea that everybody has value. Well, that's anchored in Judeo-Christian ethics. And that's actually a fairly new concept, actually. When you look at the history of the world, yes, it is. Yeah. So it's if a new we want to move for away humans. from that, do we really want to move away from that if we can't now anchor the value of everybody in something that is universal? So how do you – one last good question here, and then we'll, we'll call, it good, call it good because we're coming up at the end of the hour. Um, the question I – one question I have here is something you kind of spurred in my head. What about AI? So recently a Google researcher who is no longer with Google – claimed that one of their bots is sentient. And I there's some paranormal podcasts and things like that that I kind of listen to just here and there. And it they read the transcript from this thing, talking to a researcher, to mm-hmm. one of the programmers. And I it, it, it I don't think it's sentient. I think it's I really feel like it's just kind of regurgitating what it thinks it should say. Um just from you know, it's it's algorithms in the 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 data that's in its spreadsheet because really that's all Siri and Google is is a spreadsheet. And when you say this, it says, "Oh, activate this speech pattern and do this." And it really it's it's not that simple, obviously. But for the layman, it's just a spreadsheet. It picks that up, does it? But for them to claim that an AI is sentient, how does that correlate into Christianity? That's 
a, another one of those big questions that I'm wrestling with. You notice the books that I wrote, Who's Afraid of the Multiverse? Uh, yeah. Can you escape the beginning? Is there life <laughs> out there? These are questions that I've had. And so, uh, you know, what what do we do here with AI? And one of the things that that particular uh, discussion, I think it was Blake Lemoyne was the, the fellow who published the article. And uh, it's L-A-M-D-A, Lambda was the name of the, the AI that he was experimenting with. Uh, you, you read the transcript, and if nobody told you that was a computer, you'd say, wow, this is yeah, I'm, this is a conversation between two people. It is really pretty remarkable. Uh, you know, I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, I think his, his blog was titled, Is Lambda Sentient? Uh, I wrote a blog about it. Uh, I think it's titled The First, uh, the First Sentient AI or something like that on reasons.org. But it just kind of explores... Is this really sentient? And to me, the question of if it is, if we can't show that it's not sentient, what do we do with it? Uh, because if sentience is something of value, we don't want to make a mistake and turn something off that's sentient. You know, these are these are the sorts of questions that come up. So you're in favor of of if something became sentient and it was everybody agreed, you're in favor of leaving it on and not turning it off or destroying it. Well, I mean, it, again, this whole question of what is sentient and how would we show that yeah. is hard. But yeah, if we, I mean, you've got you've got some sort of spiritual being at some level there. That's that's kind of the connotation yeah. that sentience brings, or at least the way I'm using that term. Yeah, in the in the sci-fi literature, that's where it's spurred from. So yeah, I mean, that's that's where we the the root of it. So that's where we have to take it, I guess. I mean, but it no longer, neither one of us are really prepared to talk about that because yeah. I don't know any more about it than anybody else. So, well, it, it no longer becomes an issue of, is that Google's research? It's like, no, now you're dealing with a person or something like that. Yeah. But what we do have to realize is that this, uh, Lambda AI, it is a chat bot that it is a, an AI that is designed to build chat bots. <laughs> and yeah. so it's programming, it's algorithms are set up to figure out how to converse. And so the idea that you build a chat bot that has, is very good at chatting, that doesn't surprise me. I don't, you know, nothing, nothing in, uh, as I've done more research, nothing in what's going on with Lambda says, okay, this is sentient. But yeah, it does raise the question of, we better be prepared the first time this happens so that we don't mistakenly turn something off that is. Well, we also don't want Skynet either. Yeah, I, you know, this is where sci-fi drives the way we think about things. Um, the, I think the only way we're going to get something like Skynet is if you allow people to abdicate their responsibility to be in control of things. Well, you do. Well, that's what all this is about. So humans can just sit around and watch TV, and we can ride on our little chairs in our spaceship and have the robots clean up after us. Remember the movie? Oh yeah, that, uh, that's little, a great cartoon. Of Wally, yeah. yes, Wally, yes. <laughs> That's that's I would imagine that would probably be the majority of people in a thousand years. Just lazy. I, I, I don't I'm I actually would disagree <laughs> with that. I know and I there I know people who it's like, hey, what's the easiest way? How little work can I do? And there's there I know for almost every one of those, I know someone who's what's the most intense way I can spend this weekend? You know, they'll go off and climb a yeah. mountain or do whatever. And so I think there's 
when things get intense, there are people, God has structured people so that there's the people who say, hey, we need to relax more. And when we relax too much, there are going to be people who say, no, we need to be more <laughs> intense. And so, Well, it's like people who argue with uh, who argue with me about socialism. Um, <laughs> I always tell them socialism doesn't work because people like me. It's like if you tell me I have a choice of a car, a red car, a blue car or an orange car, I'm going to say, just give me the blue car. And I'm going to take it out in the field. I'm going to burn it because I don't want your car. I want the car I want. And that's why socialism will never work, because there's people like me that exist. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, valid, though, isn't it? I mean, if you think about it. Well, I would say the reason socialism is not going to work is that it doesn't take into account the fundamental nature of humanity. And again, I think Correct. Christianity has a great description in that we are awesome and majestic because we're created in God's image and we achieve and do amazing and incredible things. And we're also deeply depraved because of our fallenness. And we will, you know, Michelangelo and Adolf Hitler were both standard humans. I mean, one did incredibly good, incredibly beautiful art and the other did incredibly torturous activities, but yeah. they both Christianity explains both of them very well. And so we need to take into account the fall is a very real thing, has very, very real consequences on the way humans behave. That's personally why I don't think socialism will ever work is that it doesn't account yeah. for that. Doesn't, oh, that's exactly what I was trying to say. I mean, I was just being facetious and <laughs> gregarious about it. But that's exactly the same point is that, you know, it's not going to work because people like me. So I think do you have time for just one more? I think Andrea had something she wanted to interject. Sure. All right. Andrew, this what is, was this, uh, is just a, this is just a comment. Um, AI has been something that in nursing is kind of scared us. I'll be honest. AI kind of scares us because, you know, they make the joke that sometimes nurses are just, you know, we just pass pills and that's it. But AI also makes me think of how are you going to define what's human, find humanity, what's created by God. But I'm not a big fan of robots taking over things. Paul always laughs at me because those <laughs> movies always kind of scare me because I'm like, humans have the unique ability to troubleshoot, to think, to interpret, critical to thinking. critical thinking. And a robot can't do that. There's senses and, you know, instances in medicine where we have to make tough calls that may not necessarily fit a protocol or fit what you think is going to, you take a chance, you take a risk because you're intuitive, you know. So I'm not a big fan of AI. I just had to say that. I, I think it's great. I love my phone. I love all that fun stuff. But a robot coming over and taking over medicine or wanting to do surgery, I'm not a fan of. I'm totally a fan of a robot coming in and cleaning my house for free. Just saying. <laughs> well, I mean, Andrea, you, you raise a great point in that one of the things that's true is that every time we've said – can we build an AI to do X? We've built the AI to do X and almost inevitably the AI will end up doing X better than humanity can do it. And now we like to think that, oh, an AI couldn't do science or an AI couldn't produce music or an AI couldn't write literature. And the reality of it is they've built AIs that can do those things. So yeah, there's an AI out there that you can plug in the parameters you want and it will write you a movie screenplay. There's it may not make much sense, but no, it writes There's it. an AI that wrote or composed, uh, I don't know what the, the, the correct word is, you know, wrote the music for, wrote the lyrics for, and performed a worship song. And you go listen to the song, and it's a uh -huh. little bit strange, but 
it would not surprise me to see this. If I heard that song in a number of worship services I've been in, it wouldn't entirely surprise me. So that sort of stuff is not very far away. I think you raise a great point, though. Do we really want robots going around doing those things? Because almost everything humanity does or everything a human does has an algorithm, and that means an AI could do it. But nothing humanity does is just an algorithm. We also yeah. bring something new to it or something beyond that. And I don't think we're ever going to bring that. We're ever going to replicate that in AI. And so, well, right now, a robot or an AI, when they're put in to recognize stuff, they can't. For some reason, they can't just recognize that that is a plate and that is a frisbee. They can't They can't understand the difference between the two. You know, but but and where, where they start out that way, but eventually they get better yeah. than us at it. So, yes, you you say, well, it it doesn't. Poorly and whatever, but eventually it gets beyond us and then it does it better than us for all forever into the future. So, well, it's okay to call you Jeff, right? I've been doing that this whole time and never asked. So, (laughs) uh, I appreciate it, Jeff. I I really, I really do appreciate you talking to us. And I, I hope that some people out there listening will be satisfied with some of the questions that I asked. And I'm sure there's somebody out there that wanted me to hit you over the head with atheism. But if to, if you want to have a conversation, this is for people listening. If you want to have a conversation with somebody who you don't think you agree with and all you do is hit them over the head, then you're the problem, not the other person. If all they want to do is hit you over the head with it, then they're the problem because you should listen I understand. I, I kind of think about what they're saying and internalize it a little bit. But if you don't believe it, like flat earthers, I can talk with them and not get mad. I may get frustrated because they hit me over the head of flat earth, but I could talk to them. And I think when we talk about somebody who's in religion and somebody who doesn't believe in religion, have to, I, we just have to understand that's that person's decision, not our decision to tell them how to believe and we should accept that and move on. So we, so if anybody wanted me to hit, uh, Mr. Jeff, uh, over the head with a bunch of, bunch of atheist, atheistic principles, I apologize that I didn't, but I'm not going to because he's a person just like we are. And for the people out there who believe the opposite, the same goes true for you. Anyway, so Jeff, I do appreciate it. I really appreciate you talking to me. And um, is there anything that you want to leave us with? Well, I appreciate the opportunity to be here, Paul. I've enjoyed our conversation. You know, I would just encourage people, you know, if if you think science and Christianity are at odds or in conflict, I would encourage you to go to reasons.org and just check out our resources there. A lot of of blog articles to read, a lot of uh, books you can check out, uh, DVDs, videos to watch. Uh, go check us out and uh, connect with me on social media if you want. And we can have a conversation about it. And and they're pretty open over there. I mean, they they got back to me really quick. And, you know, do I deserve to be talking to this man? Probably not. But here I am. So that, that means they're actually open to talk to you about stuff. And uh, if you have a question for me or if you have a topic that you want to come back, have me come back and, re- and, and visit. Or if you want me to ask some questions of some other stuff. Like I've got... A guy that believes that the town of Eureka Springs, some of the buildings are haunted. We're going to talk to him. And I've got a guy that uh, we're going to talk also talk about state of the art and heart medicine if we can get the, the schedules right. So I'll 
encourage you to keep listening and and, uh, figure it out on your own. And I hope, I hope that I get to hear, uh, you get to hear from you. Yeah, you get to hear from me again. Not me hear from you because I can't hear you. I can hear Jeff. I can hear Andrea, but I can't hear you. So that's okay. Whatever. I don't even know what I'm talking about right now. So I guess that's the end of the program. Thank you, Jeff, very much. Thank you, Andrea. And this was Things I Want to Know. See you later.